Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day, Canada, the next day, Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week, we come to you from Sake Rock at the park. If you don't know where that is, it's because it's brand new right here next to New York, New York here in Las Vegas. Taking your calls at 888-887-3837. That's 888-88-PETER. And if you can't get through on the phones, you know what? You email me to peter at petergreenberg.com with your name, phone number, question, or problem. We will solve it right here on the air. Uh, joining me now, when I say the park, it's not just one little location. It's, it's a brand-new development right here, right off the Strip, uh, not, not far from the Monte Carlo and a few other places, is Sean McLean. He's the executive chef and managing partner of Sage, 550 Pizza Bar, and Libertine Social, you got nothing going on, Sean. No, we got a lot going on. <laughs> I mean, I have to ask the stupid question. Have we reached the point of diminishing returns? Can you continue to, not just you, but can Las Vegas continue to continue to grow, opening up new restaurants every five minutes? Because everywhere you go, people say to me, for example, I, I, I spent a, a fair amount of time in Bangkok, and I say it's impossible to find a bad hotel in Thailand, mm-hmm. right? It's almost gotten to the point now where it's impossible to find a bad restaurant in Las Vegas. Yeah, which says, you know, it, which really shows how far uh, we've come in the last 10 years. Uh, I think the, the bar has been set really, really high in a lot of uh, the scope of dining. But uh, to your point, um, it's a competitive landscape. Uh, everybody wants to do something new and exciting and, and well, it's raise a game that of, bar. It, it's a game of one-upsmanship. One it is. It is. Um, but, you know, some of it comes back to just uh, execution and quality and 
uh, remembering who the guest and the guest experience is. All right, now you have 550 Pizza Bar, right? Yes. What does 550 mean? Well, uh, 550 was uh, originally generated from the pizza oven temperature, and when we do <laughs> our pizzas, it's kind of a, we really love the East Coast pizza. We okay, really now we're talking. Okay, okay, we're not doing deep dish, we're doing sli thin slice? Uh, it's thinner, you know, it's closer <laughs> to New York, uh, not as thin as Neapolitan, but what we loved about Neapolitan was the bubble, the char from the wood, uh, but we I like a, a crust that's a little cup. charred. Yep, yeah, we get a little, we get a, definitely get a little char in ours. So, uh, but in terms of ingredients, it's definitely more of an East Coast style, uh, more traditional red sauce, white sauce, um, you know, meats, clams, uh, not necessarily a West Coast. Uh, will you, will you duck, do a, arugula? Will, will you do a four cheese? Uh, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, it's called uh, uh, Quattro. Quattro uh, Formaggio. Yeah, Come on, uh, John. I'm just kidding. It's not. Yeah. Um, but we actually do five cheeses on it, but. Uh, yeah, but who's counting? Yeah, who's counting? It's a secret fifth. <laughs> now, now, you're a Michigan boy. I am. What got you started? Uh, you know, um, I, I went to Miami University. Uh, so you never went to class? Uh, yeah, sort of. Come on, uh, come no, on. I went. You're so busted. I went. Um, but, you know, I was cooking at the time, and I reached a point uh, near the end of my college career that uh, I really felt a, a strong tug towards the kitchen. Um, and I was working. I'd been four years in by that point. Um, and I kind of knew, um, I don't know, it was just somewhat of a destiny uh, that pulled me in. Um, we ate a lot uh, when we were kids. We ate out at restaurants a lot, and I just absolutely loved the experience, and I think it just got into me and, um, you know, uh, transferred to culinary school, and kind of the rest is history. All right, so I'm going to ask you to take your owner's hat off or your partner's hat off and mm -hmm. put your customer's hat on. When you walk into a restaurant, what pisses you off the most? Uh, you know, I think it starts with the hostess um, and, you know, warmth, genuine warmth um, and, and hospitality. Um, and it's one of the hard things that that position is very difficult because it can be very demanding and um, guests are very demanding. Because, you, know, you know, if you go to New York or a New York or a Los Angeles restaurant, it, it's like a 90% chance that the person who's working there doesn't want to be there. Yeah. Right? They're there until something else comes along. Yeah. You go to Europe. They not only want to be there, it's their profession. Right, right. So how do you get over that? You know, it's 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 all about the culture. You know, you really want them to enjoy the day, be really proud of the product that, that they're standing in front of. Um, you and, make them eat it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. But, uh, you know, it's 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 in hiring. It's, it's hiring the people that... You know, skills are important, but personality and attitude are, you know, it's, it's a cliche, but it's, it's 95% of it. And why did you pick the park? Uh, well, we're, you know, close to the park. We actually in Aria and Mandalay Bay. So uh, Libertine Social, our newest place, just opened in Mandalay Bay. Uh, we're really excited to be on the property. Um, and so we're kind of uh, bookending uh, the park. But uh, MGM has some really exciting things going on right now. And at the park you've got? Uh, I don't have anything at the park. You don't? That's no, great. No, okay. yeah, it's, um, um, you know, just uh, part of the new development, what MGM is bringing, food and beverage, uh, to the city, and uh, the park is one. And, uh, and 550 Pizzas where? In Aria. Okay. And then we have Sage at Aria as well. Nice. Yeah. And what what's your signature dish at Sage? Oh, we've got a few, um, you know, and uh, I would say the most talked about is our uh, foie gras creme brulee, um, which was a... <laughs> Yeah, which is uh, which is a great decadent. Uh, you know, I, I felt like a really good slice of uh, what Las Vegas is. You know, you come out to splurge a little bit, be decadent, and uh, it's a great little snapshot of that. Wow. 
Okay, foie yeah, gras. Yeah. It, 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 despite the fact that in some circles it's considered politically incorrect. Right, right. But you're serving. Fortunately, it's not, Pierre. Yep, yep. And I actually brought you another uh, version. This is from Libertine, and so this is another preparation called uh, foie gras mousseline, which a uh, little uh, uh, peach mustard on top. Toto, I've a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. It's surrounded by uh, the T-Mobile arena. It's surrounded by, I mean, all sorts of other stuff. I can't keep up, but the guy who does keep up, or he better keep up, is the senior vice president of MGM Resorts Entertainment, Rick Arpin. I mean, how about that for an introduction? Well, I mean, <laughs> that's, a lot, that's a lot of pressure, Peter. Well, I, I, it's your job, man. So, I mean, I mean, at what point do you reach the point of diminishing returns? Because it's, there's always something going on. Yeah, I mean, Las Vegas is... Uh has has seen that over the years, right? We, we keep I mean, growing, was, we keep well, changing. There, there was a point, of course, where you were essentially overbuilt at one point. You had hotels that couldn't even open. There's still the Fountain Blue downtown that's still shuttered. Sure. Right? And a couple of projects that Boyd Gaming was doing, they had to stop that. Right? And then all of a sudden, we figured, oh, that's the end. That's it. That's it. Nothing's going to happen. And then, boom, it happens again. Yeah, I mean, the city has always been one to reinvent itself. So here we, here we go. Right? Here we grow again, I guess. But in what way? Well, I think the difference is that uh, the hotel supply, at least, is is sort of um, been a little smarter. Uh, we'll see those projects, I think, come back eventually. Some of the ones you mentioned, but, but know, was, it's going to take longer. This I was time. talking to one of the hotel managers the other night, and he was saying to me, "You know, it's it's wild. We have so many so many rooms in the inventory, and yet we're able to get a pretty good rate right now." Sure. You know, I mean, it's it's growing, and you'd think, "Oh, everybody's discounting," but they're getting a good rate. Yeah, I mean the tourism economy here has been been very strong. We've we've seen good hospitality results all across the country, and some other markets are starting to slow. We've we've seen uh, continued growth uh, across the board, convention business, et cetera. Okay, what do you think is attributable to that? Well, I think uh, I mean part of part of it is exactly the the appeal of Las Vegas for business destination convention market has been really really strong. Uh, we've seen uh, incredible demand such that. Uh, we're growing our convention center. We know that the city itself is growing its convention center. But you know what? Las Vegas is no longer one convention center. I mean, if you take a look at what just MGM has, you know, over at the Bellagio just for Virtuoso. Absolutely. I mean, that you would call a convention center, so to speak, sure. right? I mean, you have the, 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 the Las Vegas Sands and you have, uh, those guys, right? Then there's you. I yep. mean, then there's the, the, the actual convention center. Yep. Everybody's got Mandalay. I mean, come on. That's a convention center. Yeah, I think the stat is something like, you know, three of the five biggest convention centers in the world are right here in Las Vegas. So uh, it's a b- huge part of our, our business. And I think the other piece that's very relevant is what I do and what my team does, which is entertainment. That's been a huge part of driving visitation. But you've had a quantum shift in that as well. You know, it it wasn't just entertainment to satisfy the high rollers. Now, entertainment is a is a revenue generator. Yeah, absolutely. A little bit like we saw food and beverage transform in the city yeah. uh, from a loss leader to a to an attraction in and of itself. I think entertainment has definitely moved that way. It's not the lounge acts of the uh, of the old days. It's well, it's, you have artists in residence now. People a- are actually absolutely. hanging here. Absolutely. I mean, uh, it's, you know, the, one of the biggest entertainment companies in the world, Cirque du Soleil, basically makes its home here. You're right. Several 
uh, big name artists uh, are here all the time. And then, uh, well, you have Celine Dion, you have J Lo, and uh, absolutely. I mean, my good pal Lionel Richie's hi- hanging out now here. Even Lionel Richie's making you know making I Vegas his home. Yeah. And, and I think from the large-scale entertainment and now as we've seen with sports, pro sports now coming to the market, the market has definitely become more like the New Yorks, the L.A.s, the Miamis in, in entertainment, just like it had already done in terms of hospitality. All right, so now my big question, professional sports teams. Yep. You're going to get one? We have one. So 2017, fall of 17, a hockey team will start play here at T-Mobile Arena. That's not a sports team. That's a fight team. <laughs> <laughs> Partially, yes. <laughs> you're just doing fights again. That's all you're doing. They just have hockey. We pumps. are the fight capital of the world. Yeah, yes, you are. No, but I'm talking NFL. Uh, could happen. We'll see. We'll see. It's uh, it's definitely a possibility. It's gonna. There's a little, or, little or, work to do. Or NBA. Yeah, I think NBA. Um, look, the NBA will follow the NHL certainly from a timeline perspective, and they'll be following how well the NHL does, how the market responds. Uh, I think they're. Uh, my guess, I've always said, to be five to ten years away from expanding or, or moving a team to, to a market like this. But the money is there. Yeah, we saw, we saw a tremendous corporate response to T-Mobile Arena in terms of sponsorship, uh, premium seating. The, the hockey team is finding the same types of results, uh, and I think we'll find that over the next year or so till till the time they start. So uh, it's definitely a more mature market than it, than it was 10, 20 years ago. So I should get ready. <laughs> it's it's uh, as our mayor likes to say, we're now a major league city. Uh, yes, you are a major league city. How is Oscar these days? <laughs> well, now the mayor's his wife. wife. Life, know, yes, Oscar's doing great. He shows he up at every shows opening. Up his, he still shows up with his drink in the showgirls, doesn't exactly. he? Exactly, he does. That, that's a form of entertainment. He's he's a uh, he's a legend. You, you walk him out there and he has fun. <laughs> exactly, I love it. Rick Arpin, the senior vice president of MGM Resorts Entertainment. But when you get the sports team, and when you get the NFL team here or the NBA team here, you're gonna get me some seats. If it's if it's uh, NBA or NHL and T-Mobile Arena, I can uh, I can probably help you out with that. Courtside, uh, we'll do the best we can. Yeah. Oh, you are such. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Rick yeah. Arpin. <laughs> Always hedge my bets. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. I am a passenger. What could be better than my next guest, who's been making all sorts of noise in front of me, uh, the author of The Modern Mixologist, uh, Tony Abuganim. I mean, what is, it, what is sitting in front of me? Peter, nice to be on the show. Well, this is a drink that we feature over at Libertine Social. It's called the Queen's Park Swizzle. It was made famous at the Queen's Park Hotel in Trinidad. And it's a beautiful rum-based drink that we serve socially uh, in a pitcher at your table for four. A rum-based drink served socially in, in Las Vegas means call a cab. <laughs> call a cab. <laughs> it means call a cab. Come on. Now, you're making, what are you, what are you doing now? Well, this is a traditional style of preparation called swizzling. And this is a classic swizzle, swizzle stick, Peter. I've never seen a swizzle stick like this. Well, that's the real McCoy. Uh, that came from Martinique. It grows on a tuber. They no, call this a- is used by proctologists all over the world. This is... <laughs> This is painful. Give it a try, Peter. Go uh, ahead. Uh, Get uh, it in little, there and swizzle a little bit. Just, I'm, swizzle, uh, I'm swizzling, okay. Well, not really. I'm, you need to swizzle like this. Oh, like, like this. Like you're starting a fire. Oh, well, I'm sure that's going to happen. Okay, let's make believe I just did that. Okay. Right. Now, what's in this? Beautiful. Well, uh, fresh spearmint. We make a demerara syrup. It's fresh squeezed lime juice. And then there's a demerara rum, uh, El Diablo. It's a, a 15-year-old beautiful Guiana rum. And then to make I, I, you know, you, know, you got to be aware of, uh, a little scared of a rum called El Diablo. <laughs> 
Well, it, it's a lovely, lovely sipping rum, uh, and it, it's like I said, it's Guyanan rum. It's Demerara based. It's beautiful, and let's just taste it and see what you think. Okay. Here. So this is going to be the end of my career right here. Okay. <laughs> it's topped with Angostura bitters, which of course is it is from Trinidad, and you know. So everything here is basically well, not Guyana. Guyana's next door, yeah. Right. Okay. No, it's uh, it's all from the Caribbean. Like I said, it's a style of drink made really popular in the Caribbean. And you put a straw in here, too. Well, yeah, so you can get your nose down into the mint and just... Oh, yeah. That's nice. Yeah. I think the technical word, Peter, is yummy. Yummy. It's, it's a nice summer drink. And we do a whole list of these at Libertine Social. We do five different swizzles, uh, all inspired from the Caribbean, Bermuda, uh, Martinique. Uh, then we have a, a swizzle that's uh, also a gin-based swizzle. Okay, but when you like wrote rum. The Modern Mixologist, mm-hmm. I mean, based on the title of that book alone, you, you know, it's not necessarily just traditional drinks. You're, you're, you're just doing a little bit of, of cutting-edge stuff. Yeah, The Modern Mixologist is my take on classics and original drinks from my 36 years behind bars. Uh, so they are. They're original things, but everything, I think it was Mencken who once said, there will never again be original cocktail, just variations on those that have come before it. And that's really my approach. You know, much like Sean and cooking recipes, uh, they're, they're basically things that follow uh, spirit, sour, sweetener, and some type of modifier. And that's my approach to drinks, and I just try to balance And some those. kind of a, like, a, like a stretcher. A stretcher, yeah. yeah they kind of like take you out of the bar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought you meant like no, something to stretch no, the, uh, no, no. like the swizzle. Okay, but you know, you talk about variations. What about absinthe? Well, absinthe, thank goodness they realized that that shouldn't have been outlawed in the first place. Why was it outlawed in the first well, place? Well, you know, people were, in, in the early 1900s when they outlawed it, people were drinking all day. And they blamed it on absinthe because absinthe is a higher proof. But they said it was the thurgeon that was making people have these hallucinogenic experiences and do things like cut off their ear and kill their wives. But, um, you know, they were raving Give alcoholics. me two of those. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Everyone, they were the raging alcoholics back then because water wasn't always safe. So you would wake up and you would, you know. That was their excuse. Brandy. The water's not safe. I'll have four absinths and give me a knife. Yeah, got it. But absinthe was the bad guy. And. You know, I, people were drinking more absinthe. Was there a Paris. strong absinthe lobby suddenly to get it back? I, th- there really was. I mean, as this resurgence in classic cocktails took place about 15 years ago, because it was 2007 that it was yeah. legalized again, people realized that it wasn't the Thurgeon. It was just that people were drinking too much back then. So absinthe. Otherwise known back, as overserved. They were. <laughs> they didn't know any better. I guess it was. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, you, so. and do you use it in the bar? We use quite a, quite a bit of absinthe. Um, we use the Pernod absinthe, which is you know, the classic absinthe that was uh, the French absinthe before it was uh, outlawed. Um, so there's uh, you know, drinks like the uh, uh, Corpse Survivor. There's things like, <laughs> great name, right? Man. <laughs> Corpse Survivor. Absinthe, yes. Okay. <laughs> I'll take two again. Riding along in my automobile. My baby beside me at the wheel Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial.
I think it's safe to say, and my next guest I'm sure will have something to say about this since he's been around for about 32 years here in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. uh, Las Vegas is by definition always reinventing itself. Um, every time you see the, think there's something new, then there's something newer. And it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. My next guest, Don Thrasher, the president of Park District Holdings, where we are right now. Um, so let's talk about where we are right now. If I walked down the strip right now and said to somebody, let's go to the park, most people would have no idea what I'm talking about. And yet you're here and there's lots of stuff going on. Right. I mean, you started, what, 1984? That's right? correct. Right. And what, New York, New York, and so, what was it, Circus Circus? and. Circus Circus is where yeah, I started, yeah. 1984, yeah. Oh, you were the trapeze act. Uh, no, no, not quite. No, not quite. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you came in to, to basically get them up and running. Yeah. And that was before they even were a part of MGM. That's correct. Right? I mean, that was another whole company. That Was it Boyd? Was it Boyd? It was Circus Circus Enterprises. It was, yeah. 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 So why, why this and why now? Uh, I think a lot of just what you said, you know, uh, Las Vegas is always reinventing itself. And the one thing that really hadn't ever been done is the encouragement of people to be outside as opposed to inside. The uh, business model of Las Vegas for many, many years, and as you mentioned, my experience here. I've Don't been here let them leave the casino. Don't let them leave your revenue centers. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we were in a unique position here with our company, and we had this piece of property. And, uh, you know, we owned all the adjacent doorknobs, as I like to say. So we could well, do something well, different. As a sense of place, we are next to New York, New York. New York, New York, Monte Carlo, MGM is right across the street. Uh, City Center is just down the street. Right. Excalibur is just down the street to, to the south. Luxor, Mandalay Bay, just a little further south. So right. we really kind of dominate this neighborhood there, and that allowed us to take the chance and really do something different. Okay, so tell me, does that mean everybody's alfresco or what? Uh, th- well, if you, if you look up and down the street, you see that that's a growing trend, and, and what we tried to do is... Uh, and what we have done is taken it off the street and taken it into a different environment, really kind of a social urban experience, much like what you see in some of the cities in back east New York and Madison Park and, and Bryant Square and Bryant Park. And, uh, you know, there never was a park, you know, on the Las Vegas Strip. And that's pretty hard to duplicate because of the, you know, as I said, we had a unique position with the land holdings that we had. So that was our goal to create this outdoor experience, sure. encourage people to outdoor, socialize, uh, enjoy the entertainment, uh, you know, dine, drink, just people watch. All right, so here's my question. That was the goal, uh-huh. but then there was the challenge. Yeah. How'd you make it work? Uh, just a, a unique design for one thing. Uh, also, you know, we added an arena here, 20,000 seat T-Mobile arena. I, right across the street here. Yeah. Right across the street. And yeah, for years, for people who don't know, it was always the Thomas... What Thomas, Thomas and Mac, Mac Arena, and that's that's old. That's old. Yeah. Yes, but the T-Mobile Arena, we we added that, and the park becomes the main ingress egress for the arena. For the flow. For the flow. So if you're coming out of the concert, or you, w- w- you're right here. You come through the park. Right. Because it's the main pedestrian ingress egress for the arena, and that works very well for us. And then the the two hotels that are right adjacent to the to the uh, facility really you know help feed it. And then, of course, there's, there's, there's this running the numbers. I mean, your whole background is you're a numbers guy. That was my background. Come on, yeah. that's, you're a numbers it's, guy. It's, it's been a while. I always tell people that I, I know enough now just to be dangerous. All right, but you had to run the numbers on this place to say, yes, we can actually make this work based on the flow. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, you, and then you have to have a, a, a wide variety of opportunity for people. It can't just be one restaurant or one chain. 
No, you have to you have to have a variety, and we we did that, and we kind of started it with Shake Shack. Right on the corner, very well-known name. Well, Shake Shack, is, 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 you're going to get me there, and I don't even eat meat. Yeah. Very well-known name and doing yeah. very, very well. And then, you know, we progressed, you know, coming to the to the west there. And our next venue is a, a company called Bruxy, and they're out of Southern California, the Orange County area. And there, everything is served on a waffle. And that was a totally different concept. So it's not burgers or pizza. It's everything served on a waffle, and they've been very, very popular. Our next venue. A, little, a little Belgian touch. A little Belgian touch. Yeah, go ahead. Then the next uh, venue is, is uh, the Beer House, and that's an MGM-owned property. We have 87 beers there, 35 All on tap. tap. Oh, 35, 35 on tap. 35 on tap. So you got lots of hoses running in the back. We got a lot of hoses running back yeah. there. And it's, you know, a fun place where you can just relax and you can play games and, and, and you know, enjoy sports, that type of thing. It's, it's essentially a sports bar, too. In, in a way. We didn't, yeah. we didn't set out with that in mind, but it has a lot of those characteristics. And uh, then we moved on to California Pizza Kitchen, which is a very well-known name. Sure. But what we did here and what they did for us is they really kind of invented, reinvented themselves. And if you go into this California Pizza Kitchen, it's unlike others that you're probably accustomed to seeing. Because? Great architecture, expanded menu. Uh, only 25% of their sales is actually pizza. We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Now I radio clearance, over. That's Clarence, over. Over. Roger. Huh? Joining me now is a guy who's got a name that got my attention right away. For anybody who's ever come to Las Vegas, his name is, and before I tell you what he does, I'll just give you his name, Albert Mack. For those of you who've ever attended a sporting event in Las Vegas, you know the name Mack because you were in the arena, named, I believe, for your grandfather. That's correct. And your name, Albert Mack. You're not doing sporting events right now. You're doing restaurants. That's awesome. And we're correct. right. In fact, you're one of the owners right here at Sake Rock. Yes, sir. But let's talk, first of all, about, about, the, about the legend and the legacy of the name and Las Vegas about your grandfather. Yes, well, you know, I've been very lucky to be uh, born in the family that I was born into. And, uh, you know, my grandfather believed very heavily in Las Vegas and thought that uh, with his partner, Perry Thomas, so Thomas and Mac. I remember Perry Thomas. That the city uh, could never be a true metropolitan city unless they had a great education source. And uh, UNLV is that is that place. And by the way, you know, I remember going to see Jerry Tarkanian and, and, and the Rebels. That's right. right. And Perry Thomas, of course, I remember interviewing him during the old days of uh, uh, <laughs> the crazy Vegas in, in the 70s with, you know, Tony the Ant, mm-hmm. uh, right? The and Wild West. The Wild West and Lefty Rosenthal. And, of course, for those of you who never saw the movie Casino, you know, well, if you did see the movie Casino, you know exactly who I'm talking about, mm-hmm. right? Because Perry Thomas was the banker, right? I mean, That's he, correct. And, and, and then there was your grandfather. Right. That's right. So they owned the bank, and the, yeah, we were one of the only ones that were willing to to lend to the casinos and believe that it would make Las Vegas the city that it is. And guess what happened? Here it is. Now, how did you get to do this? I mean, you you, you weren't raised to be a restaurateur, were you? No, no, I was raised uh, mostly in uh, industrial and office development, and but our family obviously being around the Which hotels. Which explains sushi a lot. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, but being around the hotels my whole life with Steve Wynn especially being uh, such an incredible mentor for me uh, took me into the hospitality trade. And after a couple years. So when years, Steve Wynn put, took, took you in, what were you doing for him? So I was, uh, did the executive management rotation with uh, with the Wynn. I basically spent time in every single department, whether it was 
housekeeping, front services, you know, the, the, the nitty gritty. Did you make beds? I did. I did. I cleaned, I cleaned rooms. I parked cars. I, uh, did wash dishes and then worked my way up to executive level. What was the job you liked the least? <laughs> uh, there is no job you like the least when it gets you to the point in which you want to get to. I, at the time, what's the, what's the job you <laughs> like? Don't be political with me. I want to know. What did you hate the most? Uh, I, I would argue that uh, in-house cleaning, they're very particular. It's very military-esque, and you can understand when you, when you know Steve, obviously, that every single bed corner has to be a certain way, and the toilet paper has to be a certain way. So uh, it takes you a little while to get used to it. Now, in your own home now, is the toilet paper a certain way? It is. You can actually <laughs> ask my wife. She, uh, I've, I've become a little neurotic about it. I bet. All right, so that you went up the ladder there. Yes, sir. Right? Learning the hospitality business. Now, one of the highest failure rates in the hospitality business is the restaurant business. Here you are in a restaurant. That's correct. Uh, you know, again, it's. Uh, I'm very fortunate to be in, in the city of Las Vegas, to be on the strip in front of this incredible T-Mobile arena. You know, it really, uh, it's, it's well, an opportunity it, Isn't it of a ironic lifetime. you grew up with, with the Mac Arena? <laughs> That's right. Right? And now you got the new one. That's right. Now, what's happening with the Mac Arena? Uh, I mean, UNLV is getting better and better. Their program is, uh, is still, still strong. They're still playing there. Absolutely. Yeah. And they still have the rodeo. I mean, they're still, you know, the Thomas and Mac Arena is still a wonderful arena. They're getting uh, a bit of an overhaul, so you'll see it, you'll see it come uh, a little bit more modern. Do you have a preferred parking space there? Uh, I do not. <laughs> <laughs> I had to ask. That's right. Mr. Mack is here. would like to park his car. That's right. They're like, that'll be $12. <laughs> okay. i just double-checking. Okay. So how did you do the transition into this restaurant? So the transition, you know, Saki Rock came about from uh, just my travels over the over the years and things that I saw in the city of Las Vegas and what I think is kind of missing in uh, in your dining experience and what I've kind of found was the evolution of dining is more the entertainment feature. You know, so call it entertainment dining, if you will. Okay. And, uh, you know, especially in Las Vegas or any major city, you can find restaurants that have excellent food. Everybody's got great food because you have an excellent chef. You put it together well. You know, your service can be good. But at the end of the day, in Las Vegas especially, guests are segmenting their night, and I don't think that needs to be necessary. So they're saying, I'm going to go to dinner here, and then I'm going to go think about this show, and then I'm going to go to this bar, and then I'm going to go to this club. And what we do is kind of roll that all up in, uh, into a pretty bow and, and give you the time of your life. And why sushi? Uh, sushi is a wonderful sharing plate. You know, it's something where you can sit in a group of four, you can sit in a group of 20, and everybody wants to have little bits and pieces of everything, and it doesn't get too filling, so you can end up having a wonderful night all around. And it just really gives the uh, opportunity for, for some flexibility and some real creativity on what you can eat. But you're now in a city, as you know better than anybody, where everybody is a celebrity chef, Right. At least half these guys have their own shows or did have their own shows. That's right. right. Everybody's one-upping everybody else. How do you stay competitive? Again, it's just about uh, providing a service to the customer that they can't really get anywhere else. And that's where that's where our food quality and our entertainment com- combination really come into play. All right. So tell me about the food. Uh, the food, again, our executive chef is uh, Bobby Silva. He came from Sushi Sambo, which is incredible. Bef- yeah, Sushi Sambo. Yeah, yeah, before that, he was with uh, Michael Mina. So his, his cuisine and his creativity – you know, runs the gamut. So it's not just sushi. We have an unbelievable 42-ounce tomahawk steak. You know, we have... That is otherwise known as a weapon of mass destruction. <laughs> That's, and you'd be surprised how many of those we sell in a night. It's really incredible. Really? Oh, yeah. That, wait a minute. Do people actually finish them? Oh, again, shared plates. 
<laughs> no you know, kidding. So they, they sit in a nice group, no, and they well, sit down, I, and we fillet a slice I, it for them. I remember restaurants that say, if you can finish this, it's free. <laughs> Not in Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> I got gotcha. All right, so you've got this 42-ounce tomahawk steak. Okay, that's on you, not on me. Okay, what else? Well, as far as the sushi goes, you know, we've actually brought you a few plates to uh, to try. Our, our most popular uh, sushi roll is called the El Chapo roll. So, you know, a little play on words with that one. It's uh, Is that next to the Sean Penn roll? That, is that, I just want to know. I just, you know. That's right. That's the one that runs away. But after that, we... Uh, no, you see, know, the Sean Penn roll talks to the El Chapo roll, <laughs> then Sean Penn roll runs away, and the El Chapo roll gets eaten. Gets, that's, okay, that's how it works, you see? Okay. It doesn't get away this time. No, it doesn't get away, okay. But, uh, no, it's wonderful. And what's it's, in that roll? So it's very it's very, uh, it's very, very light. You know, on the inside, we have our spicy snow crab, a little bit of avocado on the outside. Uh, we have our sushi ebi, so it's shrimp, a uh, thin slice of lemon, and we finish it off with our homemade tomatillo sauce and some micro coriander. Again, it touches the palate. It gives you a little bit of... Uh, of freshness as you eat it and obviously again we'd love to have you try it and uh, it's just one of many specialty rolls that we offer and this one here uh, so in front of you you also have uh, one of our small plates it's our uh, salt and pepper shrimp so it's lightly battered black tiger I was shrimp war- i was warned about these yeah. <laughs> yeah they're very popular you know again uh, the salt and pepper you know there's make no mistake about the title you'll, no but you'll you know what i was told both. about and I, I honestly i'm not i'm not telling you that, that i just made this up they told me that you had different kind of edamame here they, uh, with the, with we garlic, do. So with we garlic. have our yes. So we have our edamame rock, which is uh, which we actually have for you up on the uh, in the room as well, and that just gives you an unbelievable little extra spice and citrus flavor that you don't get it anywhere else. Not bad. <laughs> Not bad. Like you said, it's Las Vegas. It's all about the creativity. It is. It is. But you're going to keep the 42 ounce tomahawk steak. <laughs> hey, Albert Mack, owner of Sake Rock. Thanks, man. Yes, sir. Thank I you. I really for appreciate that. This is your captain speaking. There is absolutely no cause for alarm. Head out on the highway. Looking for adventure. And whatever comes our way. My next guest actually was on the show with me about three years ago uh, from the Aria. Um, and talking about this an important topic, especially here in Las Vegas, uh, especially in an era where, where resources are not plentiful, where uh, people need to be more aware of their environment, um, and in a city that, I will say, honestly, uh, had a reputation for three or four decades as being probably the most politically incorrect city in America. In ter- it did. It might still be true. It might still be true. Yeah. But what about environmentally? My guest is Cindy Ortega, the Chief Sustainability Officer of MGM Resorts. Hi, Peter. Welcome doing? back. Good Thank to see you. you. But you know what I'm saying. I mean, I the do. point is, you know, the amount of water that's consumed in this city, and we're in the desert, right? The amount of electricity on the power grid, um, emissions, pollution, wastewater, everything. And when you guys got involved in City Center, which was your baby, right? Yeah. I mean, you had big challenges to how to make that work within that framework. It was difficult. You know, City Center is a world accomplishment in the area of green building, and it really still is. It's the largest high-end certified green building in the world. Well, let's talk about it, because everybody likes to talk about, you know, ecotourism or LEED, Mm. and nobody really has ever fully explained LEED to me. 
Well, lead is, a, is like a report card, and what it is is it's a common communication where one project that might be a big luxury hotel compared to, say, a library uses the same sets of measures to communicate environmental responsibility. And it's a, it's a good system, and it provides us in a framework so that the owner and the architect and the constructor can uh, work together to, to meet their goals. Of course, within a budget that is constantly changing and everybody gets angry at some point. <laughs> at some point, and you know, it's a difficult thing because when you look at the environmental uh, points of a construction project, many of them the guest doesn't see. So highly efficient, not good lighting, low flow uh, water features, and those are things that might have a trade-off in favor of things like beautiful chandeliers or other things that the guest sees. And so it's always a important that we communicate really closely the environmental attributes during the construction project. I mean, I don't just do this in Las Vegas. I do this on a, on, when I go to a cruise ship, or I do this when I look at a high-rise building anywhere in the world, and I, especially a residential high-rise building, and I go, how many toilets are flushing at any one time? Do you ever think of those things? I remember when I was a young woman, that used to be something that uh, high school kids did in, uh, in hotels. They'd all try to flush them at the same time and see if they could overflow the system. So I never have thought about how well, many Well, I happened. wasn't asking you to flush them all at the same time. I'm just <laughs> asking you if you ever imagine how many are actually at any given moment being flushed. Yeah, I've You have to thought, come up with that. I have not thought of that. Well, see, we have to talk about sustainability there because it's got to go right. somewhere. Well, what we do, and you know, it's interesting about Las Vegas because one of the uh, biggest con misconceptions of Las Vegas is water use. And in fact, when you flush a toilet in Las Vegas or take a shower, the water that goes down the drain right there is back in Lake Mead the next day. And so our water here is actually... After being treated. After being treated. Thank you. I just thought I'd mention that. Yeah, okay. better mention it. So so the lake, um, and it water... Needs to, and it needs to get back in Lake Mead because those water levels are dropping. Oh, and we're only borrowing that water because the water is reused. So we take it out and we clean it. We use it. It goes down the drain. It's cleaned and it's returned to Lake Mead. And yet that water level is still dropping. Yeah. I mean, you know, what really drives that is the weather patterns up in the mountains, up in Colorado, Montana, and upstream. And when we don't have snowfall up there and we don't have runoff, that's what makes the lake water go down. Do you envision a time when we're going to see some serious desalination here? I don't think so. Um... But it remains to be seen. If you go to Dubai, there's a lot of desalinization that happens there to provide that desert environment with water. I mean, I just envision long pipes going from Las Vegas to the Pacific Ocean to try to like just make sure that you don't run out of water. Well, there's a project in uh, the pipeline right now, no pun intended, here in Las Vegas to pipe water out of central Nevada into Las Vegas. And that's on hold right now. Um, as we progress along, but certainly it's gone through an and, environmental impact. And the reason why I'm saying that, you have neighboring states from which you get your water too. And mm -hmm. one of these days, Colorado and California are going to go, you can't take our water anymore. Now what are you going to do? Well, we keep giving it back. You know, we, <laughs> we borrow it for a day and then we send it back to them. About a little over 60% of the water that's taken out of Lake Mead is returned to Lake Mead um, and then sent downstream. Sure. But you, even you would agree that if it's 60% at a certain point, you're not adding to it. Right. It, definitely. I mean, for certain waters, the most important social problem and environment today. Now, if you look at the park, the way that we get around borrowing water from Lake Mead and using it for plants is that we actually have a well here. And all of the planting here at the park is um, is serviced by well water. And, that, and interestingly enough, look, we're dealing with a city that's had a moratorium on, on, watering, your, on watering your lawns for a long time now. Yeah. And we're very... The thing that surprises me when I travel around is how... I live in a water culture here that's just natural for me. I water at different times. I don't wash my car outside. And we have a very astute 
population here. And that's always going to be helpful to you because then you don't have to educate that many people all the time. That's right. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money, and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.